welcome to another edition of the IDCA to Infinity Paradigm and Beyond podcast, where we bring in the most recognized faces and thought leaders of the technology industry and have candid discussions on topics pertaining to digital transformation, cloud, IoT, diversity in the workplace, data centers, big data, infrastructure, and more. This time I'm joined by Kelly Ireland, CEO of CB Technologies, advisor, founder, and investor. Uh, Kelly, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mark. So happy to be here. No, it's great to have you on, and I, I wish we could have done it uh, sooner, but um, understanding you know, your schedule and my schedule, I'm glad we were able to make it happen at all. Yep. Um, so before we get started in kind of the, the work part of the discussion, tell us a little bit about Kelly. You know, what are some of the things that you do when you're not running a rapidly growing business and, and selling um, geek products to, uh, <laughs> and services to a lot of big companies? Well, you're not going to believe this, but um, I, I, I've, I've been a competitor all my life. My father was a, a football coach, university level, and my, you know, there were seven kids, and we were all thrown into sports, so I've always been competitive, and I've competed throughout my life. But at my ripe old age of retirement, I've decided to do Formula One lights, powerboat racing. And wow. I'm the NGK Powerboat Championship Series. We have one, one race left. I've podiumed twice. I won wow. the second race because it was rough water, and I happened to be able to drive boats in rough water. And most of the other guys, which is mostly all guys, are... Um, are, are set up for speed, more for speed in the flat courses. And so I had an advantage there. And then I ended up third in Pittsburgh a few weeks back. So one more, I'm going for rookie of the year. I'm in second right now by just a couple of points. So, and that's, I'm that's, having the time of my life. I can imagine. That sounds like so much fun. That's awesome. And congratulations. Thank you. I mean, as a, as a person who really uh, respects and appreciates speed, um, uh, you know, I can only imagine the, the fun and entertainment associated with what you're doing. So that's, that's fantastic. Thank you. So, you know, I, um, as I hinted at uh, before we actually started the podcast, um, I wanted to ask you that question that um, I'm hoping a few years from now, we don't have to ask anymore. And, you know, whether a few years is two years, five years or 10 years, I don't know, Ho hopefully sooner rather than later. But um, it's the question of, you know, diversity and, and certainly specifically in in being female in this industry and, and uh, finding new ways to, to get uh, more uh, female participation in the industry, either, you know, through, uh, you know, education at the beginning or, or doing the right things as, as somebody looking to hire or doing the right things as someone looking to educate. Um, you know, tell me a little bit about what you've gone through uh, to, you said you're competitive. I imagine that has something to do with where you are today. But, you know, tell me, tell me, tell me a little bit about what you've seen. I mean, um, uh, what you've been through. You've created a very successful business in, a, in an extremely male-heavy industry. Um, you know, you're, you're growing like crazy. Yep. And, um, you know, what did you go through to get to where you are? Um, I started young because I was a math science kid. And right out of high school, I actually went into programming. And this was way back in the 70s. So as you can imagine, being an IP, IBM RPG two and three programmer. Yeah. Um, and I don't remember feeling, you know, as different back then. I, and, and I've been asked several times, Kelly, how did, how did you get through all of this? And I think I actually kind of put blinders up, like, because my dad always raised us that we were competitors and, you know, et cetera. So I didn't look at male, female. But 
as I went up, as I came up through the industry, I can tell you there was for certain that there was a dismissal of females in IT. There was, you know, you kind of got relegated to order takers or admin or something along that line. You know, just there just wasn't the belief that you could be technical. And and there weren't very many of us to, you know, to be candid, there really weren't that many of us that were technical. So kind of coming up through the ranks, I I think what I did the most is realize I finally got to a point where the switch flipped and I went, I, I can do the same as anybody else. You know, I can do this. I am technical. I can learn. You know, I can support the client. I, and I think it really took that switch. Um, and that's along with what I would call in the, what we call in the industry now, he's for she's. Mm-hmm. You, yep. you always have female mentors. You always have mentors that can help you. But what I keep and, and I keep talking to females now, you know, younger women in the industry is don't. Don't think it's just women that are going to uplift you. It's not. It's men. And I had so many mentors along the way, so many male champions that helped get me through what I needed to go through. But I also had to learn myself that I had to have the confidence. And that's something that as women's groups now that we're supporting females in the industry, it's about empowering them. It's not about showing you're better than men or, or going up against men. That's not it at all. It's just about uplifting them themselves to know that they should, you know, they should be in this industry. They might, you know, they still, I'm sorry, but we're still going to have to do a little more work to make it even. It's not even, but it's, yep. it's so much better than it was before Mark. And, and I see, I see so many more of the he's for she's in WeBank, the women's business enterprise national council it's a national um, organization that does that's responsible for certifying women-owned companies, and it not only has women-owned companies as members, but it's got corporations as members. And these are these are the who's who of corporations. This is Fortune 500 stuff or Fortune 250 stuff, and they each have a diversity person, and for in many instances it's male, and they're he's for she's. They get recognized every year for uplifting and helping women-owned companies. You know, across the spectrum, not just right. IT, but helping them uplift their companies and see where they can work together and and get into um, more opportunities where they would not have had that without this support. Yeah, yeah, well, that's that's fantastic, and I and I I think that's a great idea in the sense that um, you know while there may be unique opportunity and experience to be gained from uh, another female who's gone through what you're attempting to go through. The last thing you'd want to do is position someone to be doing the reverse or, or the, um, the, uh, the same thing, but from the other side that they're fighting against, exactly. which is right. I mean, so that's, that's outstanding. Uh, it's, it's um, kind of a, 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 you know, a sad aside to the early days. And I, I know that there are tens of millions of examples that people could pull out, but one of the ones that affected me indirectly, because it wasn't me, it was my girlfriend at the time. But it was um, early 80s, and um, my girlfriend had just graduated from college, uh, had a business degree, well, engineering degree, mm-hmm. and she was going out to get a job at Livermore Labs. And I was working in, I was living in California at the time. We were both mm-hmm. living in Livermore. And um, she uh, went through the application process and got approved and came in for testing, which was like the, um, the last thing before um, getting hired. And the testing they went through, had two classes. They had a testing for the men 
and a testing for the women. And the testing for the women included what speed they could type at. <laughs> and that was the early 80s. I mean, you know, it's yeah. easy for us to look back and go, oh, those 50s, those 60s, right? Yeah. The 80s weren't really that long ago, you know, and, no. um, and that's a pretty stark um, demonstration of, of what they think the value of this new hire is just because she's female, right? As well, good, so we can add somebody else to take notes or, uh, you know, to write reports or whatever it is, but she's not gonna probably be doing real work. That's the guy's job. Yeah, yeah. Um, so very unfortunate. So, you know, before we get off this subject, one more yeah. thing, I mean, if you, and I know you're involved in a, in a couple of different industry things, as am I, um, mm -hmm. we share one in particular. Um, you know, if you had to give, uh, and, and you could pick the candidate, you could pick a hiring manager, you could pick a school teacher, you could pick a parent, or you could pick all three. But, uh, you know, what are uh, four or five things you think that can be done to help level the playing field? Because, you know, it, what, you know it's like uh, you, we could be talking about racism in America. And, and mm -hmm. the, same, the same thing would be true is that a lot of people look at it and go, well, why don't you just work hard and get it? Because everyone can work hard and get it. And while that may be true, there's also a a where did I get to start from versus everyone else? And, and you know, anybody that looks at any real history could see that women and um, minorities have actually had throughout history legislation, not just attitudes, but legislation that puts them behind the curve from the day they're born, right? So yep. Yep. Keeping, keeping that in mind, what are some of the suggestions you might have for helping people um, uh, to, to keep the momentum, right? And not just do it because we're, we're short on um, employees and, and, it's a, and it's a strong hiring season, but what can we do to really make change? Um, I, I think it's paramount in, in my industry right now, and it's paramount in the women's business organizations because we see it across the board. But my feeling is I also am very much into philanthropy and education side of the house especially when it comes to developing IT workforce. What I see is that I believe we should all be embracing and supporting the education changes that need to come about because we have all seen it. We've all seen, you know, our schools are pretty much decimated other than reading, writing, and arithmetic. And it doesn't matter when you look at STEAM, um, you know, STEM slash STEAM, they're taking yep. out everything that is creative, that, you know, contributes to what we need to learn in IT. Right. So what we've been doing is working with nonprofit organizations that are focused on developing that. I'm, I'll tell you one in one case um, that I'm working on right now. I'm on the board of Generation Yes. They call okay. Gen Yes. Mm -hmm. It's an organization out of Olympia, Washington. It's been in business for 21 or 22 years now. It's a very small shop. It's Dr. Dennis Harper, who has spent his life, you know, all about education and getting IT in, into classrooms. Um, his organization, what they do is they develop student tech leaders. So think about this. Every school, think about how many kids we have in those schools that are tech savvy. And we all know mm -hmm. the number is huge. And it's both yep. boys and girls. It's obviously probably more boys, but it's certainly we're seeing a real influx of girls as well. This program takes them from, I think it's third or fourth grade up to 12th grade. And it's what it's about is taking a couple of students, a couple of teachers so that you have support staff and yep. 
to turning these kids into the student tech leaders that can be dispatched out to support a teacher, another student, an administrator can help with the IT department. And what they're finding in the schools where this is brought in and it becomes full blown, you end up having students, you end up having classrooms of these STLs that, you know, depending on sponsorship from different companies, whether it's Cisco or HP or anybody else, if they sponsor some of this, they're taking online certification classes when they're not dispatched out. So not only are you resolving the issues of we don't have enough tech support within schools, schools can't embrace technology because they don't have the money to support it. You yep. now have the children that not only are able to support it and do it extremely well, but they're getting educated with capabilities and knowledge that they can take either into college or community college or trade or right into the workforce where they have examples of kids, you know, qualifying, I mean, graduating high school as Cisco certified engineers. I mean, I, I don't see any better fit than that right there. And I know Dennis is now starting to be embraced by Google and several other corporations that are starting to see this and go, wait a minute. You know, we ourselves implemented it in Albuquerque Public School District. So we did 17 schools in Albuquerque Public School District, which is actually, I think, like the fifth largest in the nation, took these 17 schools working with the New Mexico Public Education Department and the CTO, Paul Romero, and implemented it. And, and not only are we now seeing that they can develop within the classrooms, which in, you know, New Mexico, there's not a whole lot of opportunity sometimes, especially right. when it comes to higher ed and being able to afford it. But what else we noticed is this is changing lives and children because these children who, you know, the one that came and got trained was bilingual, extremely shy, I believe homeless, living with her mother in a car. Wow. And somehow there was a teacher that knew that this child was bright and could do this. She came back as the superstar of the entire boot camp and is now the center of being the lead student tech leader in her school, feeling like she has purpose and capabilities. And we just see her blossoming from there. Just think if you could replicate that in every school across the United States while developing IT workforce. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And, and just to add on to that, I mean, so this takes on a couple of themes that I've written about and talked about in the past. And one of them is, um, is that, you know, sustainability is a lot more than just, um, whether or not you're using too much fuel or, or, or mm -hmm. wasting too much water. Sustainability is in, in keeping your company uh, successful, keeping the country successful, mm -hmm. is populating us with the right kind of people, with the right kind of experience and, and the ability to contribute. And so what you're talking about leads directly into, you know, what can I do as a, as a uh, employee of an existing company or a, a mm -hmm. education facility or something to help improve the sustainability of our workforce right and 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 that's just perfect and it it actually takes me back to a subject i haven't talked about for a while now but i um helped out when i was at hp i got introduced uh, by my manager at the time um to a program uh, that was being run from some uh, san jose schools called east side academy mm -hmm. and uh, the idea behind the the program was to get kids that were at risk so similar to the kid you were just talking about, kids that might not yep. graduate high school, um, and usually we would get them when they were sophomores. Uh, occasionally we got freshmen, but usually they were sophomores or juniors at risk of not graduating or dropping out of school. And um, we would get them in and, and, and hook them up with um, 
uh, folks in the in our groups, and I, I ran uh, the org, the program for my group of about uh, forty people at the time. Um, and I personally, over the course of uh, the next eight or nine years with HP, did um, uh, had ten kids come in under my you know arm, as it were, uh, to work over the summer and occasionally um, uh, to do part time work uh, uh, at other parts of the year. And you know, it's like these are ten kids just specifically kids that I worried about. There were obviously other kids in the department that, that you know, had probably had similar or, or maybe even better experience uh, than the ones with me. But of those 10 kids, it's probably safe to say that some significant portion of those 10 kids would have, uh, uh, you know, fallen out of society the, the way we think of, you know, society today. They wouldn't be um, mm-hmm. you know, going into higher ed. They wouldn't be getting into the kind of opportunities that a place like the Bay Area has to offer, right? And uh, instead, uh, of the kids that um, uh, went through the program with me, uh, I don't know the exact number. I think it was eight or nine uh, went on to college, not just finished high school. They all finished high school. Eight or nine of them went on to, to actually get a degree in, in school, something I, I never actually did. Um, and uh, many of them are still linked in with me and, and contact me on a, on a um, semi-regular basis uh, and, and just catch up with what they're doing and where they're working. And, uh, and to me, if that's not um, an indicator of, of two things that are, you know, themes of what you talked about, one is which of which is, you know, the helping to create a more sustainable workforce. And two is the fact that, you know, you, you can't, well, to use a, a really, really old saying, you can't judge a book by its cover, right? And, mm-hmm. and there are millions of kids every year that get missed because they don't learn the same way other kids do or because they didn't mature at the same rate as another kid did or because mm-hmm. they don't have the same focus at home because of other problems that are beyond their control. Uh, and it's real easy for someone like you or me um, to say, well, I don't understand what the problem is because when we think of home, we think, they come home, they've got a parent or parents that are there. They've got a, a, you know, good food every day. They don't have to worry about, they don't have someone leaving uh, drug needles in the front yard or, um, you know, shooting in the neighborhood. And, and you know, those, those conditions yep. make your choices uh, considerably more difficult than most of us face. Right. So anyway, yep. great stuff. And, and Mark, just like you, I never got a college degree either because I was a techie at heart. I jumped right into programming and I did some college, but it was just like, why am I learning all this stuff that I don't really care about? Right. And I don't. So never finished my college degree. And, and we've even had discussions. I, I was uh, making a presentation at CRN Women of the Channel and I got up on stage and it's the first time I admitted to everybody. And this was maybe three years ago. You know, I don't have a college degree because everybody talks about their degree and their master's and their doctorate and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, you know, school hard knocks. I learned a ton, but it just wasn't for me. I wanted to do this technology. And back in the 70s, late 70s, that wasn't integrated into college. Right. There was a little bit, but it might have been a class or two. You had to yep. take that outside. So that's the path I took. And I think we're seeing that more now where everybody, they're pulling back a little bit where it's like, you don't have to go get a degree. I know with Boeing, I think it's the first time in forever that they don't require a college education in many, many jobs where they used to. People yeah, are pulling yeah. back going, especially the trades. When you look at IT, it's just, it's not a requirement anymore in, in some cases. Right. 
Right. Well, and, and that's it, it's obviously something that's been a, um, a pet peeve of mine. Uh, I've been um, uh, rejected for positions uh, mm-hmm. even as recently as three or four years ago uh, after being told that I was the key candidate to only to be saying, well, we got your resume, but it doesn't indicate your education on there. When I reply back with the fact that I don't have a college degree, the line goes cold. And yeah. it's like nothing else, nothing else that I told them, my 30 years of experience, all the things they'd heard about from other people made no difference anymore. It was all about that degree. And I, I really think that's unfortunate. In fact, it's, it's one of the reasons why I work with um, IDCA, the sponsor of this particular um, uh, podcast, uh, sponsor mm-hmm. in the sense that they give me the tools. Uh, I'm unpaid uh, and um, it's a voluntary position that I'm in as chairman of the uh, technical committee. But, um, uh, you know, the, they offer a number of programs that allow for folks who um, are on the edge but want to get deeper into the technology space and, and can't see themselves stopping life for four or six years to get a college degree um, in a general, um, to, you know, to get a general capability, but would rather, you know, find a way to get uh, into the industry now. And, and their kind of training programs, as you've been talking about, are ideal mm-hmm. for helping mm-hmm. people do just that, right? And, and there's just, it's, it's such a tough time to fill those roles. And so um, uh, we, we, we all have so much to do in, in widening our net. And um, again, building on that sustainability for, for how we keep our employment up, keep good candidates yeah. in the pipeline. Yeah. And I think something else, you know, and I know you're seeing this too, is kind of a new breed of school where not only do they not want to take the four years, they don't want the debt. Yeah. Um, but not focused specifically on what they're doing. So we're seeing new schools crop up that are just focused on developers and coding, you know, different things like that, where it's you have 18 months and a much smaller bill that in many cases could be deferred and you pay back your tuition once you get a job. Right. So I think we're going to see more and more of that come up as well. Yeah. And I I think that's great. So, all right. So, on to a new topic, maybe. Um, you know, you're, I'm interested specifically, and I hope my audience is, but, um, uh, you know, there are a tremendous number of major trends occurring in IT today. More than at any time, you know, when, when you think of trends, it's real easy to pick a trend or two or three at any time in IT history. But it seems like today, it's hard to remember because there are so many major trends that are occurring, whether it's edge computing or AI or ML or the combination of the two or big data or IoT um, or drones or autonomous vehicles, you know, that it just, there mm-hmm. are so many major trends that all could have a major impact on how we work. You know, that we, I, I didn't, you noticed I didn't even mention cloud anymore as if it's a de facto yeah. assumption, <laughs> right? Um, but all of these are still trends making major change. And, you know, considering that you've done the incredible thing of taking a, what is it, 17 year old company now? 17, yep. yeah. And, and growing at 50%. Um, tell us a little bit about what you're seeing and, and what, you know, beyond just running a strong business. And, and I know that you're focused on customer, um, which is, uh, you know, always a key aspect to me. That's like a, the minimum foundation for, for being successful yep. anywhere. Um, yep. But beyond that, what are the things that are driving business for you? What are you seeing happening in companies today? Yeah, I, I'm seeing a big trend and it actually embraces everything you talked about. But the one thing is, is we are all about the customer and, and we've been that from day one. Well, it's, I'm going to say it's twofold. I'm all about my employees and I'm all about my customers. So having a healthy workforce that is happy, keeps your customers happy. 
um, I think that's paramount. And I, I call that corporate responsibility. And I, I, I see more and more. I feel um, better. I just went to Fortune Magazine's Brainstorm Tech and was just delighted to see CEOs up there saying it's not all just about the money. It's about delivering a product to our customers. You know, kind of a change of mind frame, which was really refreshing. Yeah. But, but what I'm also seeing, and this is what embraces all those technologies you talked about, what I've seen in the last year, you know, we've started about four years ago bringing on more technologists, bringing on engineers, SMEs, CTs, that could help build a, a solution. What has happened in the last nine months or so, or a year to nine months, is that the expectation of customers, as well as the expectations of us delivering solutions, is that it will be a consortium or an ecosystem of partners. It's not going to be some big company that just goes in there and does it. And right. I've even had, you know, Fortune 50 customers tell me, Kelly, if somebody comes in here and says they can do this whole thing by themselves, we don't even listen to them <laughs> because they can't. Because as you said, there's, you know, this sensor over here and this software over here and this product over here and this infrastructure. What we're doing right now is one of our major projects has been 18 months of working with Deloitte, Intel, HP, PTC, ThingWorks, um, OSIsoft, National Instruments, you name it. There's like 15 consortium members. And we are all bringing to the industry refinery of the future, which is making a smart refinery or chemical plant, which is could basically be make a smart facility. Right, it, it can right. be X. It doesn't matter. But what we're doing is we're doing it all together. And we've chopped it up into viable use cases. We're demoing how the use cases can either be integrated or a customer could say, I just want this. You know, we're priming three of them which are all about asset integrity, connected worker and worker safety. And it's taking things like realware, guard hat, PTC, you know, taking all the different elements, bringing it together, using real production information to showcase that we can do hands-free connected worker, that they could pull up asset information, you know, right there from being out in the middle of the plant. It, it's, but what's really, um, paramount about it is I can go to a customer now and I can't tell you how happy they are to go, wow, you're not only showcasing that the hardware, software, services, et cetera, all work together. You're showcasing that you can work with these five or six other companies in one use case. You all get along, you know, you all can work together. You all make sure the solution can be delivered and you're doing it real time. Right. I mean, they're so excited about it. And they see that it's walking away from doing one, you know, point POCs. I'm going to test this product. I'm going to test that. Well, that tests the product. It doesn't test the integration into the system. This is saying, no, we're doing all that testing for you. And then I can tell you in the last 18 months, we have learned a ton. We have a book that's all about lessons learned of, you know, deploying wireless in, you know, a chemical plant, right. De you know, deploying micro data centers and what has to go along with that all kinds of different information and working together with those ecosystem partners, because you know, you have partners that you never thought would be in IT or all of a sudden in IT. Who would have thought they were, yep. but now they are, because with IoT, everything's connected. So everybody's gonna be involved in this, but I have to tell you, that's the, the paramount thing I see right now is just the fact that the, the consortium of groups working together.
Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's it, the reason I snickered earlier, and I apologize. I didn't mean to try to to make <laughs> you stumble, but I snickered because it literally just a couple of days ago, uh, I made a short update, uh, and I and I actually made the update. Uh, I did it um, uh, incorrectly for some reason. The actual blog that I was going to reference in my update on LinkedIn didn't take, and so only my headline to 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 focus on the importance of the blog ended up in my um, LinkedIn profile. And uh, basically I said, I'm, I'm paraphrasing myself without going to LinkedIn and trying to read it word for word, is that uh, it takes a village. There is, no, there is no single, and I was spe specifically talking about the edge, but I agree with you that it applies in so many different areas across the industry today and, and within any one business as far as solutions are concerned. But I was, uh, I've been working heavily at the edge uh, recently, uh, certainly with Ericsson, um, and, um, uh, you know, my basic, uh, assumption here is that, or not an assumption, a working reality is that, uh, Kelly or Mark can't walk up to a storefront somewhere and say, I'd like a little bit of edge. Yeah. You know, I, I'd, and I'd like it to solve this problem or I'd like it to solve that problem. Now, you know, realistically, one could argue, no, I, I can solve edge. I can go call Akamai and get, some, yeah, you can. Um, and that's assuming, you know, that you've got an existing application that does what you need it to yep. do. And all you need is more um, information or data to be cached more closely to the specific set of customers. And that's been, a, been an edge opportunity for, you know, decades now. But mm -hmm. um, I think in the more like you were just discussing in the more complex opportunities associated with an enabling edge and enabling really potentially millions of net new um, business models and uh, mm -hmm. application opportunities. There is no single place to go and say, oh, look, I've bought edge. Right? It just, it doesn't exist. And so any company attempting to approach that with customers and thinking that they should attempt to address all of that opportunity on their own, I think are going to lose out to people like you, frankly. Yeah. And it's just like big data. Okay. So yeah, you're going to go analyze your data. Then what? Do you even know if you're analyzing the correct data? You know, it, the, the whole story that we've had before. Yep. Okay, yeah, you, you think you're going to go analyze it, but th there are best practices. There are certain things you need to look at because guess what? If you, if you gain the wrong insights, that's really not good for you. Right. If you right. gain the right insights, just like this consortium of doing it the right way the first time, you ramp quicker, you know, your payback is quicker, your ROI and, and you get the correct information. You get what you need to, you know, you know, build sales, uh, build profit, whatever it is that your goals are. It, this is. Right. Right. No, I totally agree. And another, uh, it's funny because another question, which sort of links to your point earlier about pleasing customers and, and, um, and working from the employee outward. Um, one of the things that I think is uh, the, the, the quarterly announcement is the bane of, right. I mean, it's, um, yeah. It's it's really the wrong measure for companies to use. But, um, you know, when you think about the customer experience, the, the edge is a whole new way for um, any enterprise to not just offer new business uh, uh, solutions and new, new um, use cases that maybe heretofore couldn't have been uh, adopted because of the limitations of technology or the cost of improving performance. But... Um, the you know real opportunity of saying well I'm going to improve business just by making customers happier with the tools they're already using um, mm -hmm. by by leveraging the edge more effectively right and so 
in the end, as you say, it really is uh, all about the customer and anyone that can win with the customer has a good chance of winning as a company. Yeah. And the other thing I'm seeing, and I think you, you probably are seeing this exact same thing is OT versus IT. Yeah. Uh, I was at a, one of my large customer supplier conference and I mentioned, you know, that that's what I was seeing. It was an IOT breakout. And, and the gal that was standing there was just laughing. She goes, Kelly, are you saying that OT, that IT needs to speak with OT? Like, and the whole crowd started laughing <laughs> because we've even found to the point where in, you know, some very minute cases, but in a couple of cases, OT has kicked IT out and said, you have failed. You have failed to deliver what we need. We're going to go get it ourselves. And right. they are reaching out to us to help them with that. We tried to help IT and OT work together because that's the ultimate win. Yep. Um, but it, it, there are many cases where OT is winning. They're coming in saying, no, we were not given because IT wasn't doing the due diligence of really seeing what OT needed. Right, right. No, and, and it, it's, that's a common subject for um, some of the uh, discussions that I have regularly online, uh, mm -hmm. you know, via Twitter, et cetera, is this whole notion that, um, you know, we can, we can talk about the redefining of the CIO. We can talk about whether the CIO is needed or not. But what um, I think, and it, it, maybe this is really dumbed down and it's overly simplified, but in the end, what it really boils down to are people executing their function effectively. And mm -hmm. the, the responsibility for the function of IT isn't just with the CIO. It's not just with his or her leaders. Um, it also boils down to, you know, what, what was I as the CEO or CFO or COO, what, were, what was I hiring for? And what, what are my expectations? If my expectations are that the CIO just doesn't break things and that they manage costs with Oracle and whoever else that I buy large software packages from, then I'm not going to get that kind of business integration, innovation, and things that might actually help move IT back into the forefront of, of helping a business innovate rather than just being a cost of doing business, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, as we come close to uh, wrapping up here, I don't want to keep you too long. Um, you know, uh, considering what we've just been talking about and the, and the changes that you've seen, are there three or four bullets that you'd like to leave the audience with as far as, you know, let's, let's say we're, the audience is, um, is uh, you know, IT leadership in this case, uh, or, or even, you know, somebody working in a data center. What, what kind of tips would you give for them to help them prepare for what you're seeing, uh, what's, company, what's coming, and how to be successful? Um, I think one of the things is, and as fast as we're getting fed this information, you know, fire hose, there still has to be the due diligence of seeing what's going on out there. And I know, I, I know I get up in the morning, look online and go, Oh my goodness, you know, more. Right. Um, right. I, I'm, I'm waiting for the tipping point because I know there's gotta be a tipping point where there's too much technology. We are too connected. I, you know, I don't know when that's coming, but in the meantime, I think doing your due diligence of whatever your job is or wherever you're located, what you need to keep up on. Um, the yeah, other thing right. I think in regards to what I've seen with my company and with individuals, I call it be squeaky. Um, with everything that's going on and the pace of life and work right now, it, no matter how many times you go and tell somebody what you do, what your job is, or what your company does, it's in one ear and out the other. Not facetiously, but yep. because there's so much going on. So right. that's something I reiterate to my company over and over again. And I do it myself. It's like, 
we have to keep telling people what we do, how we do it, why we do it, why it makes sense for them to work with us. And this could be individually you as a worker in your company. It's get your story out there. Let them know who you are and, and continue that conversation. Because to me, I think that's really, really, really critical. Yeah, and I think yeah. the final thing is, is like I am, you know, I didn't, I wasn't involved in nonprofits or for education or helping support different areas like the one you talked about the one I talked about there's a mm -hmm. lot of them out there but I think it I think it's our responsibility to support those in some way somehow I can tell you my interaction with major corporations every single one of them when I, now when I go in and have conversations about what CBT does it's mm -hmm. split in half it's about what we do and the technology and the solutions what they're bringing and they love it but I instantly change into what I'm doing to support education, IT workforce development, and that continues for another half of the conversation. Wow. They are very enthralled with it. They want to help. They know what's coming up. They know we're going to have, um, we aren't having an influx of IT workers. We need to do everything we can to nurture that. And they are behind it a thousand percent. So now I'm going in arm in arm with corporations to help uplift these organizations and make sure we get these kids educated, keep them in IT, keep them somehow related in STEM and STEAM and give them those opportunities to become productive workers for all of us. Right, right. No, that's fantastic. And um, uh, I certainly couldn't agree more with everything you just said. Uh, I could, I could um, add my own diatribe to that, but in the, in the, uh, um, in the effort to try to keep this to 45 minutes or less, I'm going to, just leave that comment, uh, those sets of comments with you, which again, I think are fantastic. So um, before I make a closing statement, um, what can I expect from uh, Kelly? Uh, and you can reference Kelly specifically, or you can talk about CV technologies. Uh, what, what can we expect from you over the next five years? More companies, more industry involvement? <laughs> No, Kelly's, Kelly's getting her retirement age. So um, <laughs> I, I would like to see, you know, a little more vacation, a little less being on an airplane. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I've reached the max on two airlines in the same year. So wow. I know I'm traveling way too much. Um, I think what you're going to see, I know what you're going to see from CBT is a staunch partnership with industry leaders of delivering solutions to clients. Um, the way that, you know, IT is changing and the way procurement is changing. Um, we see it. We're well ahead of it. Um, and we're excited because we're having a blast. We really, you know, all of us geeky near nerds, we're all having fun because all this technology and being able to create a solution real time and go deliver it. So mm -hmm. I think you'll see the growing of that. Um, not that I want this giant company. I think we'll grow in bits and pieces, but like I said, we're on a 50% growth rate this year, which is extremely exciting. And that's not counting, you know, some of these solutions that could come to fruition in the next five months. So yeah, exciting yeah. times for us. That's no, amazing. And, and just congratulations. You know, I, I'm, uh, I'm really happy for you. And, uh, you know, I, I love what you guys do and I've always respected your work. And so I'm really happy for you guys. Thank you. So um, with that, folks, uh, I just want to say thank you for listening. Uh, and I really want to thank uh, Kelly Ireland for joining us on the episode and taking some time out of her obviously busy schedule. I thought I traveled too much. Um, <laughs> and please uh, join us next time uh, when we should be joined by Scott Noteboom, a longtime data center guru and founder and CEO of LitBit. 
Uh, if you'd like to nominate anyone to join me on a future podcast, email us at podcast at idc-a.org. Until next time, I'm Mark Teeley, and you can find me on Twitter at M-T-H-I-E-L-E-1-0. Thank you very much.